sermon series right now on the Lord's Prayer. This is our third and final week. We are also, as a community, going through a time of prayer and fasting, uh, 21 days here at the beginning of the year. I think we are officially 13 days in, if my math is correct. So that will come to a close on Monday of next week, this morning with our volunteers as we were praying together. We joked and said the prayer will continue on after, and there will still be times of fasting intentionally, but to do this corporately has been such a blessing. I know for me, I hope for you as well. When we originally stepped into it, I think uh, I remember someone saying that 80 to 90 percent of our community had committed to fast and pray during this time. So I actually, before I dive into the message this morning, was with a friend a couple of days back. It was just kind of talking through what the fast has been like up until this point. And that friend said, you know what? Like I've, I've heard of fasting before. I get it. I committed to it like I'm fully participating. I want you to know, but I don't really know if I exactly fully understand what we're doing, why we're doing it. So this morning, I just wanted to briefly touch base in case anyone else feels that way. Um, Fasting is an opportunity to deny something of the flesh in order to glorify God, enhance our spirit, and to go deeper in our prayer life. It's that idea of saying, God, I need you more than I need X, Y, Z. You know, whatever, whatever this thing is that I'm giving up, whether it is some type of food, whether it's some sort of social media or TV or shopping, spending, whatever it may be for you. It's the physical posture of saying, I'm going to rid myself of that in order to seek you that much more holistically. It's this idea that we are in desperate need of God, but sometimes our conditions conceal that need. Because life can be so comfortable around us, sometimes we aren't aware of our need for the Lord, so we almost create that need by pushing something else away or ridding ourselves of that thing. So the last couple of weeks, we've been intentional with where we've set our prayers. On the screen, I'm going to have for us in week one, uh, we were seeking personal renewal, personal revival. Week two, which comes to an end on Monday, we're praying for communal revival uh, amongst our church body here at United City Greensboro. And then our third and final week, we'll be praying for the city at large for renewal and revival to take place there. So thanks for letting me do a quick little sidestep this morning. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. If you have any questions, concerns, anything you're processing through with that, I'd love to help you navigate that. I know other leaders in our community would as well. So feel free to reach out. Um, This morning we are wrapping up, as I said, our um, time here in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be looking at the last three verses in chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 6, that'd be great. We're looking The last three verses here are three petitions or three requests here to the Father. One of them being bread, another being forgiveness, and then lastly, deliverance. As we read through this, I want us to remember that Jesus lives out this prayer in his life and in his ministry. I'm going to say that again. Jesus lives out this prayer in his life and his ministry. So as we go through these this morning, you may see times where I revert back to things Jesus has or will do to help further explain and understand what this prayer means. I also want us to remember, and this was talked about a little bit earlier in the series, but please acknowledge that this prayer is communal. I don't see a lot of me and I here. I see a lot of we and our So I think there's something really important to digest in that as we move forward this morning. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me 
And I want us to acknowledge um, that we are in the presence of the Lord this morning as we pray together. Whatever that looks like for you, uh, some may feel like it's holy ground. Let's remove our shoes. Some may feel led to kneel, open our arms. Some of you might want to stand very stoic and still. Whatever the Lord wants you to do this morning, you have freedom to do that. But direct your attentions to the screen as we pray through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining me in that corporate prayer this morning. Um, This is something that many have taken to mean uh, it should be prayed on a daily basis. So if this is something that you only said at certain times in your life or in certain environments, I know I was on the swim team growing up, and we uh, said this before every swim meet. Don't know how applicable that is, but, you know, you got to seek the Lord in different times. I went to Reedsville, so we didn't really win a lot in swimming. That's fine. Um, But I would encourage you guys to uh, incorporate this prayer into your normal praying practice. Uh, As I mentioned, I'm looking at the last three verses of this prayer this morning. I want to be completely transparent with you guys going in. Um, Each of these verses could very well be their own sermon. So in theory, I'm preaching three sermons to y'all this morning. I am going to do my part to not keep us here till 4 or 5 p.m., But you have to promise me one thing. If I'm going to do that, if I can commit to that, some of the stories and verses that I referenced this morning, I really want you guys to make note of. I'll be able to reference little bits and pieces of them, but I think it's really important that you guys just don't take my word at face value and you dig into those stories and scriptures on your own throughout this week. So please write those down in a journal, uh, on your phone, notepad, whatever it takes. I need that from you this morning, okay? I got three people that want to leave before 4 p.m., so we're all on the same page. Perfect. So let's kick it off here with verse 11, uh, where we're looking at the idea of daily bread. It says, give us today our daily bread. So this idea of daily bread is referred to, I heard it referred to as this, this like soldier's ration. I have just enough for today. I don't have excess. Lord, give me what I need in this day. So as I'm reading this, it's a pretty short line I got to work with, and I'm like, okay, Jesus is sharing this as he's teaching on a hillside what could he potentially be referencing since he's a rabbi just so we know Jesus is a rabbi and he's here teaching what could he be referencing from his own bible which would be uh, the hebrew scriptures the old testament that could tie in to this bit of information and that guys is going to be in exodus 16 where we see moses leading the israelites through the desert so what's taking place here is these israelites this is one of these that i'm briefly referencing But y'all got to dig in on your own. So I didn't see enough people grab their notebooks, write down Exodus 16. That's this week's homework, okay? Exodus 16. So Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert. They are fleeing captivity in Egypt, heading towards uh, the promised land. And I want us to look together. It's going to be on the screen for us. In verse 3, we're one month into this journey. So Moses is leading this people group. We're one month into the journey. And this is what these people are saying. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
Granted, they're fleeing captivity. Like, what you want to go back to captivity for? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Who wants a pot of meat this morning? Amen. Yes and amen. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly, assembly to death. So here we see three verses in, which is really about a month into the journey, griping and complaining from the Israelites' people. Why? Because a basic need isn't being met. I mean, does anybody argue against them in that? I'd be griping and complaining too. It's been a month. We've been in the desert. I'm hungry. Why did you bring me here? I think that's very applicable to what we read about the Lord giving us our daily bread. If you want to know why, I'm about to tell you. So right after verse 3, and you guys are going to explore Exodus 16 on your own. I trust you in that. Right after verse 3, the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to provide. I'm going to meet their needs here. And the way he's doing that, or going to and does, is through this thing called manna. Um, I looked up the original meaning of the word manna is actually the word what with a question mark and an exclamation point. <laughs> and I was talking with my dear friend Stephen this morning like, do we even know what manna is? And he's like, I don't. And I'm like, okay, well, that's exactly what the definition is. So we're all on the same page. In my mind, it's this starch-like substance. I don't know if it's bread or grits or somewhere in between, but that <laughs> is what the Lord is providing. So the Lord has committed to provide manna in the mornings and quail in the evening. And it's so interesting, guys, when you go read this story, you will also absorb this information. But like the Lord tells them, only gather what you need for the day. So in the morning, they go out and there's literally manna just spread across the land. And each person gathers what they need and bring it back. And as the sun comes out, the manna literally disappears. Like the Lord seriously only provided it for that day. And then the next morning they wake up and it's there again. There were a couple of times where folks tried to collect too much, like excess, more than what the Lord told them to get. And that stuff got like moldy and stanky and rotten. And everybody could tell that was yesterday's manna. You tried to jip us. That's not what the Lord said do. So interesting, guys. The Lord, just as we prayed for in verse 11, is literally giving them their daily bread. If you don't believe me, and since we have not um, read the whole chapter together, I'm going to flip over to verse 35 that says just that. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So for 40 years, the Lord provided for them on a day-by-day basis. Now, I don't know about you guys, but from an efficiency standpoint, I'm like, okay, Lord, really you could have just like dropped a large amount and it could have like probably been just as good and we could have just went and took our like shovel full day by day but instead you wanted to you wanted to show us that you would provide you wanted to show us your provision on a day by day basis so I think Exodus 16 uh, is a huge connecting point for us here in verse 11 as we ask for the Lord to provide our daily bread it tells me as I look at the Israelite people Every day they depended on the Father's generosity for basic necessities, and they saw that provision as a gift. I'm going to read that again. Every day they depended on the Father's generosity for basic necessities, and they saw that provision as a gift. So I want us to ask ourselves, what are we depending on God for right now? 
What is that thing in our life? And for some of us, it may very well be bread. It may very well be food and those basic needs. For some of us, it may be other things. I know for me personally, I had a couple of things that came to mind. I'm going to run through the list on my side. What are we dependent on right now? And some of those things likely are definitely outside of Jesus. The first thing that came to mind for me was some sort of love interest relationship, whether it be a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, this idea of really wanting someone to know you that personally, some sort of intimacy. And then the Lord speaks to me and he says, well, Jordan, I've, I've met that need. I've met that basic need because I love you. I love you. Like, look at how much I love you. I sent my only son to die for you. The Lord meets that need. I also thought about affirmation, wanting to have um, compliments thrown our way, wanting to feel good about ourselves. And the Lord spoke back to me and said, I have your identity taken care of. You were literally made in the image of Christ. I meet this need for you, Jordan. I meet this need. Next, I thought about my occupation, my vocation, what I do for a living. I know other folks may be in a place where you're either thinking what's coming next or am I really living out my purpose? Is this what I'm supposed to do from 9 to 5 every day? And the Lord spoke back and said, I have already placed a calling on your life. You are already intended to be a part of my mission, Missio Dei. It's like this is what you are called to do and be. I meet that need. Then I thought about this idea of a five-year plan. God, if you could just tell me what the next five years look like, where I should invest my money, um, whether or not this house was the appropriate purchase, um, whether it's time for kids, what I should study in school, whatever those questions are. And the Lord says, Jordan, I meet this need for I, I know the plans I have for you. I know those plans. Maybe I don't give you all five years. I've got a little light bulb in front of the next step, and that's all you need to know for now. I meet that need. I also think it's interesting here that we're praying for daily bread. Um, I think that, as we mentioned earlier, as we've discovered, bread can have many different means. But I do notice that we're not praying for um, daily donuts or we're not praying for um, daily Swiss cake rolls. You know what I mean? Like there's a wholesome piece about this where we're seeing the basic necessities of life. Some of us are chasing after Freddy's. Amen, I've been dreaming about it. Or Ruth's Chris, and the Lord says, but I've met your needs. That's excess. I'm providing what you truly need. We have all we need in him. Jesus here wants his disciples to cultivate the mindset of a day laborer or a beggar, to be fully reliant on the Lord and to see that the provision that we receive each day is a gift. Like the minimal basic needs met is a gift. Anything above that is a gift. But in American culture, what we say is you, you get what you deserve. Like you get what you've earned, what you've worked hard for it. If you have a lot, it's because you've worked hard for a lot. If you have a little, it's because you haven't really worked hard at all. But the truth is all of it is a gift. It's all a gift. The basics are a gift and above that. I think what's so beautiful about the God we serve is that God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. 
He's a God of abundance and not scarcity. Now, some of you are thinking, Jordan, how can you say this when you just said we're eating manna, a.k.a. what, exclamation point, question mark, whatever, instead of Ruth's Chris? Well, just because God is a God of abundance doesn't mean sometimes you have to sacrifice and remove to be able to seek him. And that's what this season of fasting has been. Though the Lord provides abundantly, sometimes that abundance is a distraction. So he pulls it back to say, let's just meet the basic needs. Very convicting for me in this time. So what does it look like to practice the reality that we serve a God of abundance and not scarcity? I, I, um, a couple of weeks back, heard about this company. I don't even remember the name of it, guys. I'm so sorry, but I promise I'm not lying. This isn't one of those made-up stories at church. Um, out in California, it was like an IT company. It looked super hip and cool, like a video well done. And the guy uh, was talking about how they, as a company, which they're doing well, they're flourishing, only keep three months' worth of operating expenses and their reserves and their savings as an act of worship to the Lord to say, we want to fully surrender and depend on you. Now, some of y'all like three months. Ooh, I wish I had three months of rent in my savings account. But the reality is for a company of their size and stamina, it's a little bit crazy, like for sure definitely foolish even, to only have three months of operating expenses. But this CEO and owner said, I want to make sure on every element, every side of my company that we are God honoring. And for me, that looks like only having three months saved up. Because once I get above that three-month threshold, at that point I start relying on my own flesh. At that point, I start seeing my own strength and not pointing back to you, Lord. I'm also reminded, uh, for those of you who were here last week, we had uh, a young woman by the name of Sarah up front. We were praying over her as we send her out to Africa for a mission trip for the next six months. And she stood up here in front of God and everybody and said, I don't have the money I need. Like, I've packed my bags. I got my plane ticket. Your girl is going, but I'm really not funded yet. <laughs> like, y'all pray. And this week, I have been praying so hard for Sarah and received word that she raised the last $3,000 since we prayed that prayer. Amen. So what does it look like to believe that our God is a God of abundance and not scarcity? Church, I want us to see that the simple necessities of life are a total gift. We haven't earned them. We don't deserve them. But our Father gives every good gift. So let's move on to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Look at verse 12 with me here. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So right here, Jesus is speaking to folks on a hillside. There are a lot of um, poor peasants kind of standing around listening in. The truth is Rome is ruling the world at this point in time. They are literally the dirt under Rome's feet, these poor peasants are. And Jesus is saying, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So interesting to me just to imagine that imagery there. I believe, church, that forgiveness is at the heart of the kingdom movement. Forgiveness is at the heart of the kingdom movement. And if you don't believe me, let's just look at the fact that we are told to pray this prayer daily. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 
Jesus thinks we need to pray about this on a daily basis. So humanity tells us we need to get even. If someone does you wrong, you get back. You know, you do wrong back to them. Uh, if someone takes advantage of you or pays you back for something, like payback invites payback. It's kind of this never-ending vicious cycle that never, I mean, literally never ends. I guess that's what cycle means. It's a downward spiral, but Jesus stops this spiral. He takes the consequences of all our sins and he forgives instead of getting even. If you guys will remember, I know Luke has an account of this in chapter 23 when uh, Jesus is hanging up on the cross and he literally prays the prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He is being crucified. I mean, there are people around him yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What an example of this to us. Church, there is no contingency. When I read this the first time and even some of... um, I don't know, the notes I'd read regarding these passages, it feels like there's a connection here of we only receive the forgiveness of God if we forgive others, right? Like they're interconnected in the structure of the sentence. But the truth is there is no contingency. God has already forgiven us. So what does it look like to apply this verse knowing that we've already received the forgiveness of the Father, I think we apply it by understanding that if we refuse to forgive, it's refusing the gift that we've been given as well. We haven't truly internalized the grace and forgiveness. It hasn't permeated our soul if we then aren't able to pass it off to the next person. It makes me think about, um, I don't know if you guys know, Spencer and I moved into a new house a couple of months back. We're in a town home. We love it. It's great. But we've had some plumbing problems. And sometimes when you turn the water on, it's just a little bit of a trickle. (laughs) But I think it's supposed to be more like a, you know, an actual water. Yes, thank you. One of those. Um, So I tried to find some good pictures, but I think my mind will do better for you guys. We're going to imagine that over here is um, the start of the pipe coming from the road going into our house. And right around here is like the lever that lets it come into the house. Any other plumbers in the room, yes and amen. And then over here is my shower that I turn on that sometimes water comes out of and sometimes it doesn't. So this idea here with my um, plumbing system is that once water comes in, unless there's something blocking it, it will keep going. And I feel the same way about our forgiveness, right? Like it's definitely coming from the Father. He has already forgiven us. There's no questions about that. That is truth. But unless something is blocking this, it should also make it out to other people. So what is it that's standing in the middle other than ourselves? It's just us, guys. We can continue to pray for my plumbing because that's still not exactly right. But that's a different story. If we don't extend forgiveness to others, did we really receive it or understand it in the first place? Until we realize what God has done for us, we will struggle to offer it to other people. I'm reminded of the prayer that we pray at the end of the service um, regarding our tithes and offerings in that time. And it says, we've been blessed to be a blessing. And I feel the same way about forgiveness. We've been forgiven in order to forgive others. It's, it's all part of the same pipe. So this sounds good in theory. How does it play out practically? I have a couple practical steps for forgiveness here. One, look at what God has done for us. We have to see it first. 
We have to see it. If you can't see it in your own life, perhaps someone around you, a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ can help you see what God has done for you. Number two, have awareness of what forgiveness is and is not. Now, for some of you guys, this may be like, I totally got that. I was reading and I'm like, what? I don't know. I just kind of say forgiveness, but I don't really think about the ins and outs of what that covers. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Forgiveness is the following things. Forgiveness is forfeiting your right to get even or retaliate. Forgiveness is handing it over to Jesus. Forgiveness is setting the other person free. Those are the three things that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not condoning what happened. What happened did matter. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It is significant enough to acknowledge. Forgiveness is not absolving someone of the consequences. Even the Lord shares with us in Scripture that because of our free will, because of our ability to make decisions, consequences do come as a part of that. Forgiveness isn't absolving someone of those consequences. Lastly, forgiveness is not reconciliation. The truth is things may never go back to the way they were. Forgiveness is just a one-way street. It's you, we talked about one pipe here, there was no side pipes coming in. It's you making a cognitive decision and effort to forgive. Reconciliation is a two-way street. It makes amends. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Lastly, I want us to remember that forgiveness has a source. Sometimes this is beyond our means. Sometimes it is outside of our own capacity. So we have to seek the source of forgiveness. The clock is staring me down, y'all. We're at verse 13. If it feels like I'm sprinting, I feel like I'm sprinting. So I just love y'all. Thank you for sprinting with me. Praise God. Let's look at verse 13 together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I think this idea of not leading into temptation comes um, very appropriately after we just ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me of my sins, and please don't let me go back to where I just came from. Amen? Yes, that's how I feel. I don't know about you guys. Um, One thing that I think has been interesting about this verse is there seems to be a lot of confusion. If we are saying here, um, lead us not into temptation, or we say, if we have to pray the prayer, are we saying that the Lord actually does lead us into temptation? And unless we pray that he doesn't, then we will just always be led by the Lord into temptation. Y'all might not be confused, but I studied this for hours. Like, Lord, what are you doing? I believe your word, but I am confused about it. Um, so I have two verses that I want to put up on the screen here. I would love for you guys to dive into greater depth. But this is what I wrestled with on and off for hours leading up into this morning. James 1 shows us that God is not tempted and does not tempt anyone. But then a couple chapters earlier here in Matthew, Jesus was literally led by the Spirit into the wilderness where the devil would tempt him. So I'm like, okay, I believe that the Word of God does not contradict itself, but I'm also in a place like, Lord, do you tempt us or you don't, do you not? Can you just tell me what's going on here? Help me see what you want us to know from this prayer. The conclusion that I came to is that this verse here, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6, is not logic or theology, but it's your heart's desire to avoid sin. 
It's how we desperately uh, want so badly to stay away from sin that we are praying and wanting to escape it with all that we are. So it's not meant to be this uh, massive theological statement. It's meant to be a bent of the heart that avoiding temptation should be my primary or a primary concern as a Jesus follower. It's a mindset and a heart bent. One other thing that I learned in this is what God uses to accomplish one thing in our life, Satan will also try to use to accomplish another. So uh, going back to, and we don't have to put them back on the screen, but those two verses that can seem a little bit controversial, um, what the conclusion that I came to is that God does allow for trials in our life. As much as I don't want to admit that, and sometimes it doesn't seem right, it is there is an opportunity for us to bring him glory, to choose him, to be strong strengthened in our walk with him. So those things do happen. But at the same time, Satan will try to use those trials as an avenue for temptation for his own desires and for evil to be done. I have an example of this. Um, For those of you who don't know, we have a 100-pound golden doodle named Coda. He's our pride and joy, our son. And I mentioned we now live in a townhouse community that has this awesome playground. I get it, playgrounds are meant for kids, but the reality is Coda's my son. So we went to play on the playground a couple weeks back, and what would any good parent do? Any good parent would teach their son how to slide down the slide. I mean, he's three and a half years old. That just makes sense to me. So I climb up the slide, he follows me, I get on the slide, I slide down, and I stand at the bottom like a good mom. Come on, son, you can do it. Well, he locked his arms so tight around that slide. He, though I as his parent, showed him the path and knew he could do it. He didn't believe me, and he was overcome with fear and terror until I came up the back of the slide, sat behind him, hugged him, and we went down together. Now, whether or not this is a good sermon illustration is beside the point, and whether or not you agree with me taking my dog down a slide is a different story. But the truth is, I intended that situation for good. Bakota was also tempted by evil in that as well. And that happens with our lives. The Lord gives us an opportunity to bring Him glory. Sure, it's a challenge. Sure, it's a trial. We we were never told that we wouldn't face those. But the enemy slides in with this temptation, with this fear. And then you're at a point where you're like, what has the Lord done? And the Lord's like, no, I gave you this opportunity to choose me and to bring me glory and to strengthen your walk with me. That's the enemy over here putting those lies in your head. It's this paradox of knowing that trials lead to growing spiritually, morally, and emotionally, but we have no desire to be in a place where even the possibility of sin is increased. But trials are inevitable. They will come. And this is why I'm thankful for the second half of this verse. But deliver us from the evil one. Deliver, uh, in its original meaning in this passage, is this word rumai, uh, which actually means a snatching from danger or evil or an enemy. So when we say, but deliver us from the evil one, we're playing, Lord, snatch me up. Like, snatchies. Y'all know, did anybody ever say that growing up? No, my voice cracked, sorry. Um, Deliver us, snatch us up from danger. 
I'm reminded, and I'd love for you guys to make note of this, it's not going to be on the screen, of a passage in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, God is faithful. He won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. I find so much hope in that. What I really love, if I'm being honest, is it is pretty much all on the Lord. Like the Lord's going to show the way out. Yes, amen. The Lord's going to show. That is His part. Now, because I don't want to take verses out of context here, I want us to also look at verse 14, which says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Therefore, my beloved, flee from temptation. So the Lord's not going to give you more than you can take. He's always going to provide a way out. But in that moment, flee. Take his way out. That's our part. The Lord's part is to provide the other lane, to provide the way out. But we then have to walk in it. We have to choose that option. Every temptation is an opportunity to flee from something to something, from sin to God. Every temptation is an opportunity. I love how positive it is. It's an opportunity. If anyone um, may have noticed, we are now at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you heard, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Anybody? Cool, okay. In my studies, this is really just a fun fact for you guys. I learned that that wasn't actually added until the 4th or 5th century A.D. And that that's something that originally was proclaimed in public prayer because it was normal to say this prayer out loud uh, communally on a daily basis and then add your uh, additional request to the end. So that was added four or five centuries after the death of Jesus and then gradually added into the text itself from there. So this concludes our series on the Lord's Prayer. Going back to the three petitions that we referenced today, they were for daily bread or daily provision, forgiveness from our sins, and then deliverance from evil. Um, like I said, evil, weird. <laughs> Sorry. Evil. Um, I do feel like we ran through this quickly. I do feel that there's a lot of weight around this. I have asked Stephen and Morgan to be available after the service. If of those three petitions, you feel like there's one on your heart or, or multiple that the Lord is really, um, I don't know, just tugging on your spirit with, I'd invite you to come receive prayer from Morgan and Stephen over that area and um, join alongside of this as you, alongside of us as you walk through that with the Lord. So with that being said, I am going to invite us to pray these verses again together of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.